0: We wanted to let you know at the outset, today's program is a rebroadcast of one of our best episodes. Whether you're hearing today's program for the first time or you're a faithful listener, we're sure you'll enjoy hearing the great truths in this episode once more. Today, lamenting
1: leads to light. Even when we feel in our lamenting, we are being dismantled. God is still speaking to us in our time of need. His word is relevant and it drives us to latch on to His grace and mercy.
0: This is the Friends of Israel Today, where we teach biblical truth for changing times. I'm Steve Conover. We'll join our host, Chris Katolka, in a moment as we continue our series in Lamentations. You know, you'll often hear the words West Bank used to describe the disputed area in Israel. Today, in our Ask FOI segment, Chris talks to Avi Zimmerman, Executive Director of the American Friends of Ariel, about the terminology we use when speaking of biblical Judea and Sumeria. And as always, we'll hear a dramatic reading from the life of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalischer. That's later, but now we join Chris with part two in Lamentations.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm your host, Chris Katolka. And thanks for spending some time with us today as we return to the book of Lamentations. Now, last week, uh, as we were studying Lamentations, we tapped into this idea of biblical lamenting that often overlooked part of our faith that most people, including myself, tend to run from. And yet lamenting um, as we've been going through lamentations, um, and as I've been going through lamentations, I've been seeing that lamenting is a crucial part of being a Christian. And I said this last week that you know lamenting really becomes that bridge that leads us to the light of God's truth for our lives. Lamenting, when we lament, it is usually a sign that we're ready for God to work and act in our lives. Specifically last week, we looked at how biblical lamenting, the idea of lamenting over our sin, opens our eyes to the fact that the Lord is in the right. When we recognize that God is right and we are wrong, it forces us into a state of lamentation. And last week, I brought up Uh, Our associate producer, Tom Howe, he has one of Rembrandt's famous paintings, which is called Jeremiah Lamenting the Destruction of Jerusalem, you know, a very literal title to a beautiful painting um, hanging in his office. And in the painting, Rembrandt paints Jerusalem off to the side, and really, Jerusalem is burning. Uh, You can't see any detail to Jerusalem other than this bright light that is uh, that Rembrandt takes and casts on this hunched over depressed prophet of Jeremiah and and Rembrandt pulls that brightness of that burning city of Jerusalem to give light to for us to see Jeremiah lamenting and what do you see you see Jeremiah hunched over his elbow is resting on a bible and his countenance is numb, his countenance is empty, and really, Rembrandt captures the Book of Lamentations in one glance. Now, in Rembrandt's painting, however, Jerusalem is cast off to the side, and and really, Jerusalem is almost seen as an afterthought in Rembrandt's painting, when in reality, Jerusalem is the focus of Jeremiah's lamenting. Yet, I want us to stop for a moment and I want us to zoom into that burning Jerusalem because that's what's at the heart of Jeremiah and all of the Jewish people who are lamenting. I want us to pan into that burning city of Jerusalem because that's where Jeremiah takes us in the book of Lamentations. Now, I want you to listen to what The prophet Jeremiah says here in Lamentations 2, 7 through 9, he says this, The Lord has spurned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given up the walls of her palaces into the hand of the enemy. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as on the day of a set feast. The Lord has purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he has caused the rampart and the wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunk to the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her kings and princes are among the nations. The law, the Torah, is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Here we see Jeremiah is literally watching the holy city of Jerusalem fall. And it was the Lord who was in the process, think about this, of dismantling Jerusalem piece by piece. Notice, even the sacred places find God's judgment. Look at what Jeremiah says here. The Lord has spurned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. The idea that even the most sacred places in Jerusalem find no refuge from God's judgment. The people of Israel have sinned, and in order to get them to a place where they can recognize that God is in the right, as we have talked about last week, that the Lord is in the right, in order to get them to that place, first he had to dismantle the thing that was most precious to them. First, he had to dismantle the place that the Jewish people thought could have never been destroyed. The Jewish people probably doubted that the temple could ever be destroyed because God's presence was there. And yet instead, it was God who purposed to destroy Jerusalem. Why? To force the Jewish people to recognize, as we talked about last week, that God is in the right. God's dismantling of Jerusalem brick by brick will become the impetus for the grace of God to go to work. By God's grace, he won't leave Israel to wallow in their sin. Instead, through lamenting, the Lord's mercy will provide them the space to turn back to him. I believe there are times in our lives when God dismantles us. Sometimes you can almost feel him as he's deconstructing us piece by piece, brick by brick. When even the sacred things, the most important things to us that we thought could never be moved have been upended. Much like our story here in the book of Lamentations. When God breaks us down, it's easy to feel as though He's left us completely. This feeling that comes so naturally is a lie from Satan. Think about this. Even when Israel was exiled to a faraway country, punished for their sins, God never left them. God was still speaking to his people through his prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah. God still desired, even as they were away from the land, to communicate with his people in their total ruin and brokenness. Even when we feel in our lamenting, we are being dismantled. God is still speaking to us in our time of need. His word is relevant, even in our time of lamenting. And it drives us to latch on to his grace and mercy. The thrust of the book of Lamentations can be found right in the middle of the book. The structure of the book of Lamentations forces you to the center, to, the, to one of the most memorable passages of the Bible. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. Step back for one moment and think about the power of this verse. In the midst of Israel's most upsetting moments in their history, when they lost everything they held dear, in the middle of all that pain stands this verse. My friends, in the middle of our pain and our suffering, in the middle of those times when we feel as though we are being destroyed and dismantled. In all of our lamenting that can happen in a lifetime. Remember, the scriptures force us to this verse. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God does not dismiss and destroy those who are at the center of his promises. While he may dismantle the things that we might think are sacred and holy, he does not destroy those who are at the center of his promises. So if you are in the middle of trying times and you are lamenting, remember to place your hope in God and your trust in his son, Jesus the Messiah. So even though everything was falling down literally around Jeremiah, the city of Jerusalem was burning, temple destroyed, his people exiled, he could still say, I have hope in him.
0: Chris, how should we respond during the times in our lives where we honestly feel like God isn't there? He's not listening. We feel alone.
1: Yeah, remember what I said in the message, that this concept that we feel alone, but really we're not alone. That that concept that we feel alone is a lie from Satan. Uh, God is always there. Remember, if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, uh, God does not dismiss or destroy those who are at the center of his promises. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. If you're feeling alone, remember something. Look back on God's promises, where he says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you.
0: If you follow the news, you've probably noticed that the world seems to make a little less sense every day. Uncertain times can cause people to ask, what's life all about? Where have I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? You may even ask, what on earth is God doing? Fortunately, the Bible has answers to all of these questions. And in Dr. Reynolds Schauer's book, What on Earth is God Doing? You can walk from creation to eternity in a compact, exciting, and easy-to-read format. It's guaranteed to change the way you look at the world. You'll understand the war Satan is waging against God and how that conflict affects history and the direction the world is heading. If you're looking for answers and want to understand God's plan for it all, pick up a copy of What on Earth is God Doing at
1: FOIRadio.org. Do it today. A few weeks ago, I told you I was traveling to Israel to lead Origins. Origins is our Friends of Israel Young Adult Ministry trip. While we were there, we made it a point to visit our friend Avi Zimmerman in the city of Ariel. Now, Ariel is a very special city in Israel because it has a massive Jewish community that sits inside the disputed area of Israel. You you know that area that the international community has raised a ruckus about? We often call it the West Bank. And this is exactly what I wanted to talk to Avi about. I've known Avi for a few years now and every time he mentions where he lives he doesn't call it the West Bank. He calls it Judea and Samaria. So I sat down with Avi to ask him about the differences between these two names for the same place and whether or not the title West Bank is the proper term for that area. Avi typically Whenever I read the news in America and I read about what's happening in Israel, the first few words that I see typically involve the idea of the West Bank. And REL is considered to be by the international community in the West Bank. Is this the proper term that we should be using, especially as evangelical Christians,
2: uh, when we describe this area It's a really good question. If you mentioned particularly from an evangelical or a Christian or Bible-reading perspective, um, you'd be hard-pressed to find the term West Bank in the Bible. I'd be very curious to know where that appears. Uh, You'd be hard-pressed to see the green line appear in the Bible. It certainly doesn't say anything about occupied territories. Uh, The region here is known as uh, the northern and southern kingdom of Israel, uh, the heart and soul of biblical Israel. We call it today Judea and Samaria. We call it Judea and Samaria. Israeli prime ministers have called it Israeli, uh, excuse me, Judea and Samaria. But it's true that there's something called the international community. Whatever that is, I'm not sure either. But they choose to use the, the misnomer, which dates back to the Jordanian presence here many years ago, called the West Bank.
1: When it comes to our perspective on Judea and Samaria. Why is it sensitive to be using these terms? Is there something wrong with using the term West Bank at all? Uh, is it a sensitive uh, to, to Israelis
2: in some ways? Um, well, yeah, I think if we were to uh, give uh, terms of, uh, I would say, any relevant term to any sovereign nation in any part of the world and say, well, someone else wants to call you su- such and such, uh, how do you, do you feel comfortable about that? Obviously, they would feel uncomfortable. But here, it's much more than that. Israel is today the only country on earth whose legitimacy as a country is called into question. That's a, a very strange status. And it's interesting to note that the area within Israel, which is most questioned, is specifically biblical Israel, is the region of Ju- Judea and Samaria. And the way they call it into question is very, very sur- surreptitious, very insidious, very quiet. They just give it a different name. If you can call it the West Bank as opposed to calling it Judea and Samaria, you've rebranded the the region. If you call it occupied territories instead of calling it the land of our forefathers, you've really rebranded the region. You also rebrand the people living there. You call them occupiers instead of people that are returning to the land of their heritage or who are fulfilling biblical prophecy, it's a totally different playing field. So actually terminology is critical. It sounds like it's incredibly important, and I'll tell you, even, even
1: as an American coming in, it's hard for me sometimes to erase the idea of saying, West Bank, I'm sitting here with you in the city of Ariel, in Israel right now, in biblical Samaria, and it's still interesting that when I speak to people, I use this term, West Bank, but I'm going to challenge myself daily to use, even as an evangelical Christian, the idea of, not West Bank when I read these things, but, uh, or speak to people, but to say, this is biblical Judea and Samaria to give it the proper terms, and I think that's incredibly important. Avi, thank you for your time and your wisdom in dealing with these issues.
2: Well, my pleasure. Wisdom, I'm not sure, but uh, I think it's important really to come in contact with the people living here, not just myself, but everybody. Uh, The story is much more than than even the names that we give it. That's just a a context. It's critical in that respect, but ultimately the the, The real challenge that the world has, I think, in drawing all of this great degree of attention to what's going on in Israel, I think that's a fascinating dynamic in and of itself. So many people interested in what's going on here, disproportionately, that's fine with us. I actually think it's really interesting. But the only way to really begin to understand is actually to meet the people here. And if you can come in contact and understand the reality behind the story, you'll you'll understand that through real people.
1: I've been speaking with Avi Zimmerman, executive director of the American Friends of Ariel. And folks, If you get a chance to travel to Israel, please don't hesitate to come to the beautiful city of Ariel. You will be surprised to see all the amazing things that are happening here. So while you're here in Israel, when you get a chance to travel to Israel, make it a priority to stop by Ariel to visit this beautiful city in the area of Judea and Samaria. You can do that at friendsofariel.org. Please visit that website. And please come and say hello to our friend, Avi Zimmerman.
0: Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Sve is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Sve.
3: Recently, I suffered a serious heart attack while walking in Jerusalem. The doctors told my family I was clinically dead and there was no hope for my recovery. They said that even if I did survive, I would be helpless, and my memory would be gone. My family and believers around the world began to pray. After three days, I improved, and all life support equipment was disconnected. In another week, I was discharged from the hospital. I had faced death many times before during the Holocaust in Europe and the wars here in Israel. I am happy to say, along with our Lord Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. While I was in the hospital, I shared a room with an elderly man. One day, one of his visitors asked me in Hebrew, What is your position? I replied, When we get to our eternal home, no one will ask what position we held on earth. He then asked, What type of work do you do? I am a carpenter, I replied. He made a sour face and asked the others in German, Would it be possible to change rooms? I responded in German, You are free to do whatever you like. But God does not care if you are rich or poor. Everyone will have to stand alone before him in judgment. My roommate was listening happily, but his family was unhappy. One asked if I had graduated from a university. I told him, Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But this wisdom is far from you. They did not know how to respond since they were all university graduates and I was a mere carpenter. One asked, Do you read books such as Shakespeare? I replied, The answers to the questions of life and death are found only in one book. This book says, When one dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Psalm 49, 17. They had become very interested in what I was saying and asked to see the book to which I had been referring. The hospital was a very religious, orthodox institution, and I knew it would upset them to see the New Testament. I silently prayed and then showed it to them. They all said, You are a Christian? I am a better Jew than any of you, I replied. But you have brought a Christian book into this place, they protested. When the rabbi comes tomorrow, we will tell him that you want to make us Christians. I responded, You can tell the rabbi whatever you like, but remind him, He spends a lot of time reading the Bible, and the New Testament is an important part of the Bible. The Old and New Testaments are closely related. Your rabbi teaches you stories written by other rabbis, but now you must choose between the truth of God and the traditions. I believe strongly in Paul's words to the Roman believers, All things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Because of my heart attack, I had the opportunity to witness to doctors and nurses and patients, and even the rabbi at the Orthodox Jewish Hospital.
0: The dramatic reading you just heard is taken from a feature you can read in our bi-monthly magazine, Israel, My Glory. If you enjoy Apples of Gold, be sure to sign up for a free trial subscription when you visit foiradio.org. Again, that's foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Our associate producer and engineer is Tom Gallion. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. I'd like to thank Avi Zimmerman of the American Friends of Ariel for being on our program. To learn more about their work, visit them at friendsofariel.org. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us where you're listening and what you think of our program. Your feedback has tremendous value to us as we determine the effectiveness of our programming. You can write to us at FOI Radio, PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Or, as I mentioned earlier, you can find us at FOI Radio. Org. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.